Egypt and Israel. God spoke to Moses through fire in the bushes. Take kick off your shoes and stay a while. All humanity was made to worship me. Supposedly perilous, but all over town and in churches abide. These powerful weaklings who practice their politics, stealing from Jesus, his beautiful bride. Where the old Pharisees, Sadducees, heresies, we best get out. Rise up to your feet and thank God for your freedom this morning. Amen. Come on. He who the sun sets free is free indeed. Amen. Hallelujah. I don't know what kind of bondage you came with. I don't know what kind of trial you came with. But he who the sun sets free is free indeed. Amen. Hallelujah. 
You can tell I'm already excited because the Holy Spirit was with us in the first service. And that same God who set us free then is going to set us free today. Amen. Before we go to the word one more time and before I even dismiss the choir. or Well, you can even go while I pray if you feel led. But I want the freedom to bring forth the word this morning without distraction, without hindrance. And I want you to have the freedom to receive it. Amen. Not just hear it, but receive it. And then the freedom to respond to it as the Holy Spirit leads. Amen. Father God, we thank you for the freedom that comes through your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father God, for the choir and the orchestra. We thank you for Pastor Zach and the music that has led us thus far into the presence of the Lord. We thank you for everything that has taken place, but we thank you for what you're still about to do. And God, I pray that you would give me the freedom once again to bring forth your word with clarity, with an anointing, Father God, with wisdom and insight, Lord God, with strength and vitality. I pray, God, that you would give your people the freedom to hear, that you would give them the freedom to receive your word with gladness, and more importantly, give them the freedom to respond as your Holy Spirit leads them. God, when you call them, Father God, to respond, I pray that pride wouldn't get in the way, distraction wouldn't get in the way, but that they would yield themselves to you, Father, that we all might find freedom in our lives. We give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Can we just bless them one more time, church? Thank you, choir. May the Lord be with you today. You can be seated. I want to bring you a word of hope this morning. A word of hope in troubled times. The title of my message, you can put up the first slide, is based on the feeding of the 5,000. It will be a lesson in faith. It's taken from John chapter 6, verses 1 through 12. In the beginning, I'll just read to verse 6. I know that most of you have probably heard this passage or read this passage or been preached this passage a dozen times, if not more. But how many of you could use another faith boost this morning? Amen. Uh, Another word of hope in the midst of your trial or tribulation or whatever you're going through. Uh, I'm thankful that every time we open the word of God, it can give us a fresh revelation. It can give us a a fresh touch and give us some fresh direction. So my, my hope this morning, church, is that your faith is renewed today. I don't know what kind of trial or tribulation, what kind of heartache, struggles you all might be facing But today I want to offer you a word of hope. John chapter 6, verse 1 to 12. These are the words of the Lord. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they had seen him perform miracles on the other side. uh, Miracles that he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward them, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? And he asked this only to test Philip, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. How many of you are glad that God's got it all figured out? Amen. Uh, when we're completely confused, God completely understands. When you and I don't seem to have a clue, when it doesn't add up, when we can't figure it out, God knows exactly what he's going to do. When you can't see over the hill, God sees over the hill. When you can't see around the bend, God sees around the bend. When you can't see the pitfalls and the snares and the traps and all of these things that the devil in the world might try to bring against you, God's got it all figured out. Amen. 
I'm thankful that I serve a God that doesn't need an instruction manual. He doesn't need a he doesn't need a self-help book. He doesn't need uh, instructions uh, because he wrote the instructions. He he give he gave us uh, all the instruction that we need. He's the author and the finisher of our faith, and he doesn't need instructions. Amen. But before I even go any further on the passage, I want you to think about this setting that Jesus and the disciples find themselves in for just a moment. Jesus and the disciples had just crossed over the Sea of Galilee uh, to get away from the crowds that they had been ministering to, the sick that they had been healing, the needs that they had met. I'm sure that they were tired. I'm sure that they were weary. I'm sure that their, their bodies were feeble. So they crossed the, the, the sea to get away from the crowd. Maybe they wanted some rest, like I said. Maybe they wanted some downtime. Maybe they wanted some alone time with Jesus and Jesus with his disciples. How many ever been there? You got to get away from the crowd. You want just a little time with your close friends or you want a little time, just you and God. You don't want all the distractions and you don't want all the other burdens. You just you just need that time with God. Well, this is exactly where the disciples were. They had hoped to, to press away from the crowds, hoped to, to find a, a little downtime, maybe to even get some rest, maybe to even take a nap or a, a little shut-eye. But while they were sitting on the mountainside, the Bible says, trying to get some rest, 5,000 men plus their wives plus their children come herding towards them. According to Matthew 14, same story, same setting, just a different author. Some of the disciples begin to tell Jesus or ask Jesus to send the people away. Send them to another village, they told Jesus, so that they could eat because it was getting late and because this is a desolate place, they told Jesus. Here's what I want you to understand was going on. The disciples were telling Jesus, tell them to go home. Tell them we have nothing to give. Tell them that we've run out of resources. Tell them that we're tired. Tell them that we're hungry. Tell them it's too late and we can't help them. Send them somewhere else, Jesus. This is what the disciples were saying. It's too late. But how many of you know Jesus didn't do that, church? Because it's never too late for God. Amen? I want you to understand that Jesus said what he said because he knew that his father never slumbers and his father never sleeps. He knows that that his father wasn't controlled by a clock. And I don't know about you, church, but I'm glad that I serve a God who doesn't clock in and who doesn't clock out. I'm glad I serve a Savior whose throne is always open, whose, whose store is always open for business. I'm glad I serve a Savior that I can come to whenever I have a need. Doesn't matter what time it is. Doesn't matter what my need might be. We can go to God whenever we need to. Amen. It was getting late and they wanted Jesus to send them away. But the fact is that that David said, O Lord, in the morning, will I direct my prayers unto you and will look up because he understood that it didn't matter when he went to Jesus. Didn't matter if it was early in the morning before the sun came up. Didn't matter if it was in the middle of the day. Didn't matter if it was at midnight like Paul and Silas around midnight. The Bible says in the middle of their trial, in the middle of a deep, dark prison cell, they cried out to God and God heard them and God responded and God broke the chains and he opened the doors and he set them free. Why, church? Because it's never too late for God. Because our God never sleeps and our God never slumbers. Amen? This is what, this is what Jesus wants to teach us this morning. That, that it's never a bad time to cry out to God. 
that it's never a bad time to call out his name, that it's never a bad time to bend a knee, that it's never a bad time to hide yourself in a prayer closet and lift up your eyes into the hills from whence cometh your help, because your help comes from the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth. So I want you to be encouraged this morning, no matter what you're going through, no matter what your situation might be, no matter what burden you are bearing, it's never a bad time to go to God. God's never distracted. God's never caught up with other needs. God is able to meet every need that's represented in the house of God this morning, according to his riches and glory. This is what Jesus said. Listen, I want you to understand that one of the reasons Jesus didn't send them home is because his well never runs dry. The disciples thought it did. The disciples thought they didn't have enough. The disciples thought they ran out of resources. But Jesus said, guess what? My resources never run dry. My resources never fail. They forgot that that, that the word of God says his mercies are new every morning and his loving kindness endures from generation to generation. I want you to be encouraged this morning. I don't care what you went to God for yesterday. He can meet your need again today. I don't care how many times you've called on him in the future, last week, last month, last year. I don't care how many times you've knocked on the doorway of heaven. I want you to know that his mercies are new every single morning. And whatever need you might have, God is able to meet it today. Whatever need you have, no matter how heavy it might feel, no matter how impossible you might think it is. God is able to meet your need this morning. I want you to understand that there is no shortage of God's power in heaven. Yet we act like it sometimes. There's no shortage of God's glory. No shortage of God's provisions. No shortage of God's goodness in heaven. He's able to meet all of our needs according to his riches and glory. You see, the reality is when you go to the supermarket, you might pick up a bottle of milk that says best if used by. There might be an expiration date on a box of cookies. There might be an ex- expiration date even on a box of vitamins or, or even some antibiotics that the doctor gives you. Used by such and such a date because after this date, it's no good anymore. I want you to know that when it comes to the power of God, there is no expiration date on the power and the goodness of God. No matter how many times you've gone to him, that pill bottle that's held by the hand of God will never run dry. It'll never be empty and you can go to him with every single need that you have. His resources never fail. He's able to meet all of our needs according to his riches and glory. And on that day, he met 5,000 needs, 10,000 needs all at one time. The disciples said, send them home. The disciples said, Jesus, tell them it's too late. The disciples began to speak out of, uh, out of the natural. Uh, they, they were focused on the situation and the circumstance, and it came out on their words. You see, this is what was going on with the disciples. They were saying, let someone else take care of their need. Let someone else bear their burden. Send them to another town so I don't have to put forth some effort, so I don't have to pray, so I don't have to fast any longer, so I don't have to trust in you. Send them somewhere else and let someone else bear their need or bear their burden. This is what the disciples were saying, but according to John chapter 6, verse 5, that's not what Jesus did. 
He didn't let someone else feed them. He didn't let someone else bear their burden. He didn't let someone else meet the need that was surrounding him and that was represented in his presence. You see, you and I need to understand this is the true act of discipleship, being ready in season and in out. Whenever you recognize a need, you got to be willing to bear it. Whenever you see a brother have a burden, you got to be willing to put it up on your back, take it to a prayer closet and call out on the king of kings in regards to that need that your brother or your sister is bearing. The disciples said, send them home, send them home needy, send them home hungry. Let someone else take care of them. But Jesus is calling you to service this morning. He's calling you to a higher walk. He's calling you to to cultivate some faith in your spirit and in your Christian life and put to practice what you preach. This is what Jesus was saying. He wouldn't send them home. But this is what happens. According to John chapter 6 verse 5, he either pulls Philip aside personally to have a little chit-chat with him or right in front of all the disciples. He says to Philip, Philip, where shall we buy bread for all these people to eat? Hey, Philip, how are we going to feed these people? Hey, Philip, how are we going to meet this need that seems to surround us? This is what Jesus was asking. Jesus was letting the disciples know, listen, I'm not going to push the people on someone else. I'm not going to send them to another city. I'm not going to send them to another town. I'm going to meet the need that they have. So, Philip, how are you? How are we going to meet this need, Philip? How are we going to feed them? And I can't help but imagine what was going on in poor little Philip's soul. I can't imagine what was going on in poor little Philip's life. You know, he's the timid, mild little apostle. You don't hear a whole lot about Philip. You hear all about Peter. You hear all about John. You hear all about Paul. You hear all about the sons of thunder. But poor little old Philip. You don't hear a whole lot about him. But I can imagine what was going on with poor little Philip upon being asked this question. All the eyes were upon him. All of the other disciples and anyone else sitting nearby wanted to see how Philip was going to react to the question Jesus had. How will we feed all these people? Philip singled him out of the crowd. You see, the reality is sometimes God's going to call you out of the crowd. You see, sometimes God's going to call you from in uh, from obscurity, from the back row, from the, the back of the crowd. And he's going to call you to the forefront and he's going to say, today, I want you to answer for your faith. Today, I want you to I, I want you to give an account of the hope that lies within you. See, if you go to if you go through your Christian life in the shadows, you ain't going to make no difference for the kingdom of God. If you go through your Christian life. Hiding out in the crowd, God doesn't need you and God can't use you. You see, Philip might have been standing at the back of the crowd trying to avoid responsibility. Here's what I'm thinking. Maybe Philip was napping. Maybe Philip's eyes were closed. Maybe he, he shook Philip and asked him the question, there's a need here, Philip. How are you going to meet it? And you and I need to understand that somewhere in our Christian life, God is going to call you to the forefront. God is going to say, nap time is over. Play time is over. Uh, uh, just fooling around is over. Now, today, I want you to give an account of the hope that lies within you. How many of you have a hope inside of your soul? How many of you are ready to give an account of that hope that Jesus Christ sowed into the soil of your soul? You see, we need to be real careful when we read the Word of God to not just blow right through it. We need to understand what God is saying in the Word of God. And here he was calling obscure little Philip to the forefront. 
I wasn't there. I don't know the stature of Philip. Maybe he was a meek, little, mild, timid man. Maybe he was a big brute. I have no clue. But I do know that Jesus called him out of the crowd. I do know that Jesus wanted to make him responsible for the faith that he said that he had. If you are going to follow me, there comes some responsibilities. You know that. We need to lay down our cross. We need to crucify ourselves. And we need to follow him. We can't just tote around following Jesus and think there's no responsibilities that come with our Christian faith. We, on a regular basis, have to be willing to give an account of the hope within us. But I can imagine, Philip, his blood pressure probably shot up. A lump probably swelled up in his throat. You've been there. His heart probably skipped a beat. Didn't. Dumbfounded. Probably had no clue how to answer. I'm sure he thought to himself, why is Jesus asking me? Why is he asking me this question? Why doesn't he ask Peter? Peter's the loud mouth. Peter's the one that seems to have all the answers and ask all the questions. He's the know-it-all of the crowd. Why didn't he ask Peter? Why didn't he ask John the Beloved? John's his favorite. John's the spiritual man in the crowd. Why didn't he ask John? You know how it is. You defer to the more spiritual. You defer to the one. I remember, this isn't part of my notes, but I remember one time when I was young in my teenage years, we were going to the shore. God was really getting a hold of my life and we walked into a little side store to get some and we began to witness. We began to witness to the person behind the counter and one of the, one of the, one of the people behind the counter asked one of my friends a question about his faith and he turned and he looked to the most spiritual in the crowd and wanted him to answer. This is what was going on with Philip. I don't know if he was ready to give an account of the hope that lies within him. I pray that every one of you are in the house today. But listen to me. His lips probably began to stammer. Uh, 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 Jesus, uh. I'm sure he thought, why me? Why not Judas? Judas is the money man. Judas had the money bag. Judas was the accountant. So why are you asking me? I'm not sure why he asked Philip. Like I said... Maybe Philip was the one that said, send them home. Maybe Philip was the one that said, send them to another town. Maybe Philip was the one hiding in the back of the crowd, like I said. Maybe Philip was already falling asleep and was oblivious to the, to the crowd that was going on around him. I don't know what was going on in Philip's heart. I don't know what was going on in Philip's mind. But I know what was going on in Jesus' mind, because the Bible said he asked this simply to test him. You see, what you and I need to understand is that when Jesus asks a question, it's not because he's stupid. When Jesus asks you a question, it's not because he's ignorant. When Jesus asks you and I a question, it's, it's not because he can't figure it out, because he needs the help of man. It's not because he needs your wisdom and your insight and your input. No, the reason Jesus asks you a question is because he's about to test you. It's because he's about to try you. It's because he's about to reveal the condition of your soul. It's because he wants to stir you up in faith. It's because he wants to bring you from a place of immaturity into a place of maturity. He wants to bring you from a place of obscurity to the forefront. It's because he wants to bring you from a place of doubt to a place of faith. He wants to bring you out of the natural into the supernatural. This is why Jesus asks us difficult questions. Because he wants us to even discover what's going on in the soil of our soul. Jesus doesn't need to figure it out. Jesus has it all figured out already. He was about to teach Philip a lesson. I can picture Philip looking intently around the crowd. 
with a crowd filled with chaos. Think about it. 10,000 people church. 10,000 people. Hundreds and thousands coming from every single different direction. Screaming kids, mothers, fathers surrounding Philip in the midst of this, this, this impossible situation. Everywhere Philip looks. Oh, you know. This is the way he was, overwhelmed by the question that Jesus asked him. And yet in the middle of this need, in the middle of this situation, Jesus says, Philip, Philip. He probably didn't scream like I did. I get excited. He might have just gone over and said, hey, Philip, look around. See all of these needs? 10,000 people here. How are we going to feed them, Philip? How are we going to meet the need that's represented here? And what you need to understand, there was only one answer that Jesus was looking for. He was looking for the answer that said, we're going to feed them by faith. We're going to feed them by faith. I, I may not know. I may not have the answer, Jesus. I may not be able to figure it out. I may not know what you're thinking, Jesus, but we're going to feed them by faith. This was the answer that Jesus was looking for, but it's not the answer that he got. And so often in our lives, in the situation that we're going through, Jesus asks the question. And all he's wanting to hear from you and me is, Jesus, we're going to take care of it by faith. We're going to overcome it by faith. I'm going to be healed by faith. My son's going to come home by faith. The bills are going to be paid by faith. By faith, Jesus, you and I are going to do this. You see, the reality is, listen, Jesus didn't ask Philip to do it by himself. He said, Philip, how are we going to meet the need? I want you to understand that he doesn't say, brother, how are you going to do it or how are you going to do it or how are you going to do it? Because he doesn't leave us alone because he knows we can't do it on our own. So he says to us, Austin, how are we going to meet this need? How are we going to take care of this situation? And he draws us close to himself and reminds us that we're not in this mess alone. That we're doing it with the Son of God and the power of the Father. This is what Jesus is telling us in this passage of Scripture. If we would take the time to look at it. If we would take the time to understand that he's more than a God with a lightning bolt in his hand wanting to strike us when we mess up, but that he is intimately acquainted with all of our ways. And he wants to work it out with us. He doesn't want us walking in our own strength because he knows the mess that we can make. My God, listen, I've made so many mistakes in my life trying to do it all on my own. And I know you have too. And God is saying, stop, just for a minute, Philip. How are we going to take care of this need? And it was overwhelming. Everywhere he looked, there's a need, there's a need, there's a need, there's a need, there's a need. Surrounded by an impossibility. Maybe some of you are in that place this morning. Everywhere you look, you're thinking, how on earth am I going to take care of that? How on earth is this situation going to be satisfied? It's going to be done by faith. Maybe he asked Philip because he was the events coordinator of the crowd. Maybe Philip was tired of ministering to the people in the other villages, like I said, and he wanted a break. But I can picture Philip looking over this crowd, a crowd filled with chaos. And Jesus says, Philip, all of these people are hungry. So where are we going to buy enough grub to feed them? And to Philip, I don't know how many of you have seen this show. It's one of my favorite shows on TV. My wife knows after church on Wednesdays, I go home at 10 o'clock and I watch it on the cooking channel. But it's called Dinner Impossible. And I don't know how many of you have ever seen it, but it's about this big burly man. 
He has been a chef to, to famous people all over the world, and he is thrown into an impossible cooking situation. Limited resources, limited food, limited space to work in, limited funds, even limited help. And he has a mission that he has to complete, and it's called Dinner Impossible. And this, to me, church, is exactly where Philip was. He was in the midst of Dinner Impossible. And for them, some of you who are old school, maybe you remember Mission Impossible. This, this task that was put onto a group of men. And that, that they were supposed to accomplish. But this, I believe, is where Philip was. He was in the middle of dinner impossible. And I believe in that flashing moment of despair. When Jesus asked him that question, Philip looked around and he saw with eyes of flesh instead of eyes of faith. And he responded accordingly. You see, when you look with the eyes of flesh, your mouth will respond accordingly. When you look with the eyes of the spirit and you look with the eyes of the supernatural, your words will respond accordingly. In in verse 7, this is what Philip said. 200 denarii or eight months wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have just a bite. Eight months wages, Jesus. We could work for eight months and it wouldn't buy enough bread to give everyone here just a nibble, just a taste, just a, a little crumb, just, just a little scrap, Jesus. Eight months wouldn't provide enough for everyone, but just a little taste. You ever been in that place where you feel like, I need more than this. I need more than a nibble, God. I need more than a taste. This thing ain't going to fill my cavity. But I want you to understand that in this position, Philip forgot Philip forgot and he, he, he failed to realize that Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. You see, I want you to realize this morning that Jesus came so you could have more than a scrap. Jesus came so you might have more than a little mouthful. Jesus came so you might have more than just a little taste, more than just a little crumb upon your table. You see, Philip forgot. He forgot that David said, I was young and now I am old. Yet in all of my years, I have never seen the righteous forsaken, nor a seed beg for bread. Amen. Come on, let's bless God for that. Because the fact is, He is able to meet every single one of our needs according to His riches and glory. You see, Philip's words lacked faith because he found himself focused on the crowd instead of on Christ. He was focused on the numbers and the odds, and he was focused on the circumstance and the situation instead of on Jesus Christ. We need to understand this morning that when our eyes are fixed on Jesus, all things are possible. You understand what I'm saying, church? When your eyes are fixed on Jesus Christ, all things are possible, no matter who tells you otherwise. You see, the reality is, all your life, the devil's going to come and say, you can't be healed. The devil's going to come and say, you can't get that job. The devil's going to come and say, you're never going to get that bonus. Your wife's never going to come back. Your son's never going to get saved. You see, all your life, the devil's going to come to you and say, it's impossible. But I want you to know that the Word of God tells me that with Jesus and with God, all things are possible. All of them. Every need you have this morning, it's possible for them to be met. Because God is not a man that He should lie or the Son of Man that He should change His mind. If He promises, He fulfills. If He speaks, He acts on our behalf. And Jesus said that all things are possible to those who believe. Do you believe this morning? That God is able to meet all of your needs according to your riches and glory? If so, there's no reason to have your head hanging down. There's no reason to wonder how you're going to make your way through this circumstance or situation. 
when our eyes are fixed on the author and the finisher of our faith, like Peter, we can walk on water. When your eyes are fixed on the one who scripted out your life, he is the author and the finisher of your faith. The word of God says he numbered and ordered your days before you were even born, before you even took a single breath. Jesus, God, Jehovah, knew the path that you were going to take. He knew the road that you were going to walk on. He knew the blessings he wanted to bestow upon your life. He orders our footsteps, church. The reality is that when we have our eyes fixed on him, we can experience the impossible. We can walk in the supernatural. But listen to me. When our eyes are fixed on the chaos and the crowd, when our eyes are fixed on the wind and the wave, when our eyes are fixed on the overwhelming odds, when our, when our, when our eyes are fixed on that, that giant wall of Jericho, when our eyes are fixed on Goliath, like the entire, uh, entire army of Israel's eyes were fixed on Goliath and the giants in the land. You're not going to experience the supernatural power of God in your life. You see, the reality is as soon as Philip, I mean, as soon as Peter, who was walking in the supernatural, as soon as he took his eyes off of Jesus, what happened? He began to sink or began to sink and he began to be controlled by the laws of nature. Instead of the laws of faith. And this is what I want you to understand. Philip, Peter, Peter stepped out of the boat by faith. And when he stepped out in faith, listen to me, the law of faith superseded the law of nature. The law of nature said, you're going to sink. The law of nature said, you're going to go under. The law of nature said, you're going to die. The law of nature said, you're going to be overcome. But the law of faith said, Peter, if you would just step out, if you would just put your feet on that water with a little bit of faith, the laws of faith are going to supersede the laws of nature. This is where God wants us to live. Listen, you and I are the sons and daughters of the Most High God. And we are to live by faith and walk by faith, speak by faith, think by faith, pray by faith. And when we do, the supernatural laws of faith supersedes the laws of nature. As soon as you take your eyes off the supernatural, guess what? The natural takes control. I hope you're getting this. The laws of nature took control of Peter's life as soon as he took his eyes off the supernatural. When you got your eyes on the chaos and the crowd, the crowd is going to control you. When you got your eyes fixed on the odds, the odds are going to control you. When you got your eyes fixed on the sickness and the circumstance, it's going to control you. That law will take control in your life and it will bring you down. But listen to me, church, if somewhere in the midst of that storm like Peter was facing, somewhere in the midst of that crowd like Philip was facing, somewhere in the midst of that battle with the giant like David was facing, or, 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 or Joshua standing at the walls of Jericho, if you would just somewhere let faith take control you will walk above the situation that's coming against you i hope you're getting that church this is a supernatural law that god wants us to walk by wants us to walk by faith and not by sight you see the truth is in this dinner impossible situation philip forgot that david said the righteous are not forsaken and their seed don't beg for bread Yet I wonder, 
how often we find ourselves in that same exact place of Philip, surrounded by an impossible situation, surrounded by a need that seems to be greater than our personal resources. You've been there. Some of you might even be there today. Every single one of your personal resources have run out. They've run dry. Your bank is empty. You, you, you don't seem to know what's going to happen tomorrow, how you're going to make it through the day. You look at your bills and you look at your bank and you're thinking, oh, good Lord, how am I going to take care of it? You're going to take care of it by faith. And you're going to do it with God. But listen, here's, amen, here's what's happening. We find ourselves in this situation where we're overwhelmed by the odds or troubled by the test that seems to be coming our way. And the first response we have is, God, let that test go somewhere else. God, can't you just send that to another city? Can't you just send that to another? Do you understand what I'm saying? This is exactly what Philip and the disciples were saying. Jesus, I don't think I'm ready for this pop quiz. I don't think I'm ready for this test. I haven't studied for it. I haven't brushed up on it. I haven't done all the praying I should do. haven't done all the reading I should do. haven't done all the fasting I should do. So so God, can't you just send that test somewhere else? Send it to the pastor. He's been fasting. Send it to Pastor Jeff. He's been praying. Send uh, The moms and the dads say, "Uh, uh, send it to Pastor JC. Send it to someone else. Don't, Don't let that test have to come to my house. Don't let me have to go through that. But this this is what you need to understand. This is what they were hoping Jesus would do, would be to send it away. But just like with Philip in the midst of this impossible situation, in your situation, God looks at you and says, how will you feed them? How will you handle this situation? How will you meet this need? How are you going to satisfy What's going on in this situation? What are you going to do? Listen, when, when the odds are against you, when it makes no sense, when it won't add up, when you can't figure it out, when you can't tell heads from tails, Jesus says, how will you handle this situation? And he does so, church, not in order to destroy you. He does so not in order to bring you down. He does so not in order to to destruct you and devastate you. He does it in order to test you. He does it in order to build up your faith. He does it in order to build up your character. He does it in order to, to build up your trust. He does it in order to build up your confidence and make you a warrior for the kingdom of God. He does it so that when you go through it, you can tell someone else, I've been through that fire. I've been through that flood. I've been through that situation. And if you just put your faith in God, just put your trust in God. He's going to bring you through too. Hopefully, church. What Jesus was trying to do was to stir up the faith within Philip. Understand that when Jesus asked this question to Philip, the disciples had far more than a bread problem. They had no bakery to bake any bread. They had no money to buy the ingredients or buy any bread. They had a distribution problem, how to get it around to 10,000 people. They had a transportation problem. And above all, the Bible says they had a time problem for the hour was late. And when you add it all up. I don't know about you, but that seems like dinner impossible to me. When you're surrounded by 10,000 hungry people, that sounds like dinner impossible to me. They had problems, church, that they couldn't even calculate. 
And I don't know, I've been there in my life, and I'm sure that you've been there too. Maybe some of you are there right now. You've got such severe problems in your life, you can't even calculate them. You can't even figure them out when you've got to handle on one section of your, your frustrations and your problems. And you think, oh, if I could just do this, everything will work out. And you seem to get a grasp or a handle on that. And then all of a sudden, there's 100 other things that spring up in your life. And you just can't seem to calculate how to get out. You can't seem to calculate how you're going to get through. You can't seem to calculate how in the world am I going to handle this? How am I supposed to make it through? You see, that's the way the devil works. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He comes to devastate your life. He doesn't come to make you feel all happy and tingly inside, even though for a pleasure, even, I mean, even though for a season, he, it might feel like that. But the devil comes to just destroy you and devastate your life. But this is when Jesus asks us that question. How are you going to handle it? How are you going to? Deal with this situation in your life. When the waters are raging, Jesus asks you, what are you going to do? When the doctor gives you a bad report, church, when the husband or the wife walks out, when the mortgage is due, when you can't pay the bills, when, when a collector's knocking on the door, when business is slow, when you lose your job, when the furnace is hot, when the, when the waters are raging against us, Jesus asks us all, how are you going to handle this situation in your life? You see, listen, in John chapter 6, 6, we discover Jesus knew exactly what he was going to do. Philip had no clue, but Jesus did. He knew exactly what he was going to do because nothing takes Jesus by surprise. Amen. No one ever sneaks up on Jesus. No situation ever takes him by surprise. Nothing ever frustrates God. Jeremiah 29, 11. You should all know this one. God said, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to bless you and not harm you. Plans to give you hope and give you a future. And if you don't know what that is saying, God is saying, listen, you may not have it all figured out, but I do. You may not know what tomorrow might hold, but I do. You may not, you, you may be oblivious to the outcome of your situation, but I've got it all under control. I want you to understand that God Almighty is not that statue of the thinking man that's sitting on a, a lump of rock trying to figure out, what am I going to do with Pastor Jeff today? How am I going to work out his situation? How am I going to heal that person? How am I going to help that person? How am I going to turn their situation around? Nothing takes God by surprise. It might take us by surprise, but nothing ever takes God by surprise. Listen, God's not overwhelmed by the odds. We might be. You find in Scripture that that God likes the odds set against him. Why? So that he can receive the glory. You see, sometimes God brings you into a situation where the odds are all out of whack, not so you can get the glory, but so he can get the glory. You see, it's all about the Father being glorified through the situation He brings you through. The doctor might say, oh, can't do anything more, but God says, I can. You might not know the outcome, but God knows the outcome because nothing takes God by surprise. Listen, He's not tossed by the storms. He's not tossed by the winds and the waves of life that come come against us. You know the story about the disciples had to go across the sea. And while they were crossing over in a little boat, what happened? A storm kicked up, began to toss the boat to and fro, and everyone in the boat was panicking except Jesus. What was he doing? He was resting in his father. He was resting in the fact that he knew his father had a plan for him. His father said, go across the sea because I've got something else for you to do over there. And Jesus rested in the fact of what his father said. I've got a plan for you on the other side of that sea. So he wasn't overwhelmed by the storm, but all the disciples were. 
You see, when a storm comes into your life and God has told you that you can claim victory over it, you know what you need to do? Not panic! You need to stand up and stretch out your hand like Jesus said and said, Peace be still in the name of Jesus Christ because God knows the plan He has for me. It's a plan to bless me and not harm me. It's a plan to give me a hope and a future. And you're not going to cut it short. And we need to rise up in the face of the storm. Walk by faith and not by sight. I hope I'm building up your faith. I hope I'm building up your hope this morning, church. He's not troubled by the trials or tribulations. He's not oblivious to the outcome of the situation that you're going through. Because verse 6 says, Jesus knew exactly, exactly what he was intending to do. He just wanted Philip to decide what he was going to do. He wanted Philip to decide what he was going to do in the midst of his situation. He wanted Philip to exercise some faith. He wanted Philip to rise up with faith, believing Like I said, that all things are possible to those who believe. This is what Jesus wanted. He wanted Philip to rise up, like I said earlier. And God, together we can do anything. Because all things are possible for you. This is this is what was going on. Maybe Jesus, I began to think about this. All the reasons why Jesus would ask him questions. Maybe why he would ask us such questions. Maybe he was giving Philip the first opportunity to say, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Like Peter did. Maybe he was giving Philip the opportunity for Christ or for Philip to confess his faith in God. And upon his faith, the church could have been built. You ever stop to consider that? Philip could have been the one that God said or Jesus said, upon your faith, Philip, the church is going to be built. But he, he reacted in fear. He reacted. He was overwhelmed by the odds. He was overwhelmed by the circumstance and the situation. So he didn't speak by faith. He spoke by doubt. And this is what was going on. Maybe he was willing, waiting for Philip to say, you can do anything, Jesus. Maybe he was waiting for Philip, which he should have said, Jesus, you're the bread of life. You satisfy the, the thirsty and you fill the hungry with all good things. So I know exactly how these people are going to be satisfied. I know exactly how their need is going to be met. It's going to be met through you, Jesus, because I can't do anything on my own. With me, with me, things are impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Listen, you're not going to get through this situation on your own. You're only going to get through it with God. Philip could have said, I've got no food to feed them. I've got no money to buy food. I've got no, no trucks to, to deliver the food. I've got no bakery to bake the food. I, I, I don't have the natural resources to meet the need that is in our midst. But, but, but Jesus, faith is the substance of things hoped for. And it's the evidence of things not seen. This is what Philip could have said. Jesus, you can provide the bread. Jesus, you can do the impossible. Jesus, you can be the bread that they hunger for. You can be the satisfaction of their soul. And all it required was a little bit of faith. But the faith never came. Philip had the opportunity, church, to allow his faith to become the bread the people needed. He had the opportunity to allow his faith to become the possible in the midst of impossibility, to become the water in the midst of drought, to become the food in the midst of famine, to become healing in the midst of sickness. To become the miracle in the midst of 10,000 people. But his faith failed him. And he spoke by, he spoke natural words out of his mouth. And this is what happened. They said, there's not enough resources. The disciples wanted to send the crowd away hungry. Wanted to send the crowd away empty. Wanted to send the crowd away unsatisfied. But Jesus said, no. 
I'm not going to send them home unsatisfied. No, I'm not going to send them home hungry. He said, I have compassion on them, for they have been with me for three days now, and I will not send them away fasting, but filled. How many of you are glad you serve a father who doesn't want you to go home hungry today? Amen. He doesn't want you going home fasting, but filled. He doesn't want you going home empty, but satisfied. But here's the catch. Sometimes we have to wait. You see, the Bible says they were with him for three days before their need got met. And you see, sometimes we got to have it right now. Woo, Jesus, got to have it right now. Sometimes we act like God is oblivious to our situation and our circumstance. Sometimes we act like God doesn't know it all, like God doesn't have it under control. And we begin to whine and complain and grumble about the situation that we find ourselves in. God, I need it right now. And God is saying, no, you don't need it right now. You see, they had to wait three days. Sometimes we have to wait for God's response. Sometimes we have to tarry a little bit, church. Sometimes we have to be patient. Sometimes we cannot grow weary in well-doing because the Bible says in due season we shall reap a harvest if we what? If we don't quit, if we don't give up, if we don't throw in the towel. If we don't turn our back on God and say he doesn't care and he's not concerned and that he must be sleeping and he must be slumbering. He must not see the, the situation or the need that I have. We serve a God that's not just a powerful God, church, but a compassionate God. He's intimately acquainted with all of your ways. He knows the burden that you bear. He knows the sickness that you're going through. He knows the tears that you you shed. The Bible says he knows you're going out and you're coming in. You're rising up and you're laying down. He knows you're going along the way. He knows everything about you, church. He knows your name. He knows the number of hairs upon your head. He knows every word you're going to speak before it ever crosses over your lips. He knows the meditation of your heart, the Bible says. He fashioned you and formed you in complete darkness, like, like, like I told you earlier. He knit you together while you were in your mother's womb. If he did all that, don't you think he knows your need? If he did all that, don't you think he knows your circumstance and your situation and the burden that you bear? But somehow, for some reason, we act like God doesn't love us. We act like God doesn't care about my situation. I know I'm being a little dramatic, but that's exactly the way we act sometimes. God, you just don't care. You say you love me. And if you loved me, you would move right now. You would give me what I need. And we wait for God to stick a little pacifier in our mouth and treat us like a baby instead of allowing us to grow up and become spiritual men and women of the Lord. You see, sometimes he allows you to go through difficult situations because you've had the the pasty in your mouth a little bit too long. Because he wants you to start chewing on the meat of the word instead of the milk. Because he knows that there's difficult times beyond what you're going through now that has the potential to destroy your life. And if you can't get it now, you're not going to get it then. And so this is what we need to understand, that God is bringing us through things to bring us out, to to receive the glory in the midst of it. He will not send you away fasting, but filled. I want you to be encouraged this morning, whatever you're going through, church, that God's resources never run dry. 
His cupboard is never bare. His bakery never runs out of bread. His bank never runs out of money. I want you to know that Jehovah God, Jehovah Jireh, our provider, doesn't need a government bailout. Our government needs God to bail us out. Our government needs God's mercy and God's grace and God's wisdom and God's anointing to touch their mind and touch their heart and change their soul. That's what America needs. It's what our government needs. And it's what we need. We need God to bail us out. We go through life trying to bail ourselves out. We go through life in the natural with that little pail of water trying to bail out the boat. When there's a big plug, there's a big hole that needs to be plugged up by faith. Needs to be plugged up by faith so that you and I can get to the other side and do the things that God has for us. Listen to me. His well never runs dry and his power never fails. Yet in verse 7, Philip said, We don't have enough money, Jesus. Again, natural. Listen to what the word of God is saying here. God can do anything. He is the creator of heaven and earth. He is the bread of life. He is the everlasting uh, father. He is the prince of peace. All things are possible through Jesus Christ. And yet in verse seven, standing right in the midst of the bread of life. Standing right in the midst of Jehovah Jireh, our provider, Philip said, we don't have enough money. Jesus, I got ten bucks. How far is that going to go? God's not concerned about what you have. God's concerned about what you believe he has. This is where this is where miracles take place, not based on what you have, but what you believe God has. Philip said we don't have enough money. And in verse 9, Andrew said we don't have enough food, Jesus. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Five little loaves and three little fishes. And they're looking out over 10,000 people. And they're thinking in the natural, good Lord, how in the world... Is this going to feed? This is a little boy's lunch. This is a little boy's meal. This is, this is going to last the, boy, the little boy a day or two. This isn't enough to feed the whole crowd. Listen, we don't have enough money and we don't have enough food, the disciples said. But how many of you know that even a little bit in the hands of God can go farther than you can imagine? Amen? Come on, applaud the Lord. A little bit in the hands of God goes farther than you can think or even ask. Ephesians church, chapter 3, verse 20, says that God is able to do exceeding abundantly above. He didn't just say he can do for you. He said he can do exceeding abundantly above all that you could ask of him to do. Whatever you ask God to do for you today, he can do more than that. Whatever you think he's capable of doing, he can do more than that. When you put 500 requests together and ask God to meet them, he can do more than than that. When you put the 10,000 people together, he can do more than that. He is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond what your limited mind can even think he's possible of. The Bible, listen to me. The word of, I'm trying to encourage you and build you up. The word of God says his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts higher than our thoughts. As high as the heaven is above the earth, so are his ways higher than our ways and his thoughts higher than our thoughts. It doesn't matter what you think. It matters what he thinks. It doesn't matter what you can do. It's what he can do. It doesn't matter what you have. It matters what he has. And when you have just a little bit, and you're willing to put it into the hands of God, and you mix it with a little bit of faith, I want you to do it. It'll bring miracles into your life. Amen? A little bit in the hands of God. This is what, this is what, listen, I want to finish that verse. 
He's able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think according to the power that worketh within us. And this is what this is what Jesus was trying to produce in Philip. He was trying to produce the power of faith, and it's what he's trying to do in your life this morning as well. What he wanted to produce in Philip was the power to be able to say all things are possible. He wanted to produce the power of faith that was able to move mountains. Because if you have faith as even as the grain of a mustard seed, what can you do? You can speak to this mountain, be thou cast into the sea, and it will lift itself up and throw it into the sea. He was trying to produce the power of faith to slay giants. The power of faith to heal the sick, the power of faith to, to, to bring sight to the blind, to cause the lame to walk, to turn an impossible situation around. He was trying to produce in Philip the power of faith that was able to walk on water like Peter did. And he's trying to produce that same power in your life today. He was trying to stir it and he was trying to stoke it. He was trying to ignite the faith that was inside of him and he wanted it to work itself out. You see, not only can Jesus meet our expectations, he can exceed them, like I said. Because how many of you remember, after Jesus finished his miracle, after Jesus fed the 5,000 men and he put food into the mouths of every single child and every single woman that was there, after they had ate to their fill, after they were satisfied, there were leftovers. After, After the disciples who had confessed doubt and and had their eyes fixed on on the natural after they obeyed God and picked up those five loaves of bread and stepped out in faith and began to break it and distribute it to 10,000 people. Guess what happened? God gave back to them good measure, pressed down, shaken together, flowing over into their lives and 12 baskets, one for each disciple was filled to overflowing because they stepped out in faith, because they responded to the voice of God, because they were willing to go meet a need and trust God to do the impossible. That's why it was given back to them, pressed down, shaken together and overflowing in your life. How many of you need God to do the same in my life? God, I need that good measure in my life. I need that miracle in my life. I need you to do the impossible in my life. It starts with you stepping out in faith. And secondly, last pastor. Zach, come to the music. You got to mix it with a little bit of faith and you got to mix it with a little bit of thanks. You see, here's what happened in verse 11. Jesus took the loaves and I want you to listen to me and I want you to catch this because I, this is this is important for you to get. Jesus took the loaves. Jesus took the loaves, which doubt said isn't enough. Jesus took the the, the loaves and the fish that said, that doubt said, this isn't enough to go around. This isn't even enough to give everybody a little bite. This isn't enough to satisfy the people. Doubt said, this this won't meet the need, Jesus. Jesus took what, what man doubted. What doubt said, this won't pay the bills. This won't make the person well. This can't be multiplied, Jesus. This isn't enough to make a difference in my life. Doubt said this wasn't enough. But Jesus, listen to me. You take that little bit and you put it in the hands of a compassionate, all-powerful God. You mix it with a little bit of faith and you mix it with a little bit of thanks. You see, Jesus took what Andrew grumbled about. (sighs) Jesus, this isn't enough. This isn't enough to go around. This isn't enough to pay my bills. This isn't enough to make a difference. Jesus took what man complained about and gave thanks for it. 
Because Jesus understood that every good and perfect gift comes down from his Father above. You see, you need to understand that that car you complain about was given to you by God. And the only way you're ever going to get a new one is when you give thanks for the old one. The only way you're ever going to see an increase in your bank account is when you give God a little bit of thanks for the little bit that you already have. You see, God lifted up what man doubted. God lifted, Jesus lifted up what man said wasn't enough, and He gave thanks for it. He said, thank you, Jesus, for this little bit of bread. Thank you, Jesus, for the five loaves and the, the, the couple little fishes. Thank you for what... Do you understand what I'm saying this morning, church? Far too often we find ourselves grumbling about what we don't have instead of praising God for what we do have. Come on. Amen. Far too often we go through life grumbling about the situation and the circumstance instead of thanking God for what He's going to do in the midst of it. You need to understand that that thanksgiving, Jesus understood this every time he prayed. Jesus understood that when I give thanks, it opens up the window of heaven. When I give thanks, it, it, it gets my father's attention. When I give thanks, the angels stand quietly in heaven. And they rejoice along with me when I give thanks. The doorway to God's goodness and power and provisions is opened into my life. But when I grumble and when I complain, listen, the only thing that's opened is the mouth of hell. When the children of Israel were walking through the wilderness surrounded by suffering, surrounded by what they thought was lack, they began to grumble and complain. It never opened up the windows of heaven. What did it do? If you know scripture, you know that the the earth opened up its mouth and it swallowed them whole. You see, when you grumble about your situation, your situation is going to swallow you whole. When you grumble about your wife, your wife will swallow you whole. When you grumble about your husband, your husband's going to swallow you whole. When you grumble about your job and how it stinks and how your boss is lousy, that situation is going to swallow you whole. When you grumble about the money and the situation that you have, or the little money that you have, poverty is going to swallow you whole. Lack is going to overtake you. Suffering is going to come into your life. But when you take that job, listen, oh Lord, when you drive to work and you hate that job, you got to stop your grumbling. God, I thank you for this job. God, I praise you for this job. I know that you opened up the windows of heaven and you worked on my behalf and you gave me this job. So when I go into that job, I'm going to go in rejoicing. Every time you get your paycheck, every time you get your paycheck, I've taught this before. I hope you thank God for it. I hope you don't look at it and say, well, the government took this and the government took that and left me with nothing. No, it left you with a miracle that God can multiply. I want you to know that when you take your check, you need to lift it up and you need to say, God, I praise you for this check. Maybe you've lost your job. I would encourage you to go get an old pay stub. And you lift it up and you say, God, you gave me a job once before. I thank you for the job that I had. I thank you for the income that came into my life. I thank you for the food that was on my table. I thank you for the clothes that I had on my back. I thank you that you opened up the doors of heaven once before. I thank you for what I had. And I'm thanking you for what I'm about to receive. I hope you understand that, church. When Jesus gave thanks, He didn't just give thanks for what He had. 
He gave thanks for what he was about to receive. You see, you know that that prayer, that old traditional prayer. Father God, we thank you for that which we are about to receive. That is based on this story because when you thank God for what you're about to receive that you don't have, that you don't see sitting on the table, that you don't see in your bank account, when you thank Him for what you don't have and say, thank you God for what I'm about to receive, guess what happens? The windows of heaven begin to open up. The doorway to God's goodness begins to open up into your life because a little bit of faith and a little bit of thanks in the hands of a mighty God can meet every need according to His riches and glory. I want you to stand with me right now because here's how the Holy Spirit wants to end. If you have a need in your life, I don't care what it is, a physical need, a financial need, a family need, a marital need, a mental need, I don't care what it is. But you're standing here today and you're saying, God, I can't figure it out. I can't calculate it. I'm oblivious to the outcome. I don't know how it's going to work out. But God, you've told me today that if I would mix it with a little bit of thanks and mix it with a little bit of faith, the windows of heaven are going to open up into my life. So here's what we're going to, whatever need you might have, you, every single one of you might come. But if you have a need, I want you to come to the altar and here's what we're going to do. I don't care what the need is. You have a need that you want God to intervene with. I want you to come to this altar. I know there's more than two. So I want you to respond to this. Here's what we're going to do. As you all come... The first thing we're going to do, I'm going to ask Pastor Zach, I forget the name of the song that I just asked you to sing, but it's a give thanks. The first thing we're going to do is we're just going to take a moment to give thanks. And while we sing this song, I want you to thank God for everything that he's brought you through. Everything that he's done. Every time he's intervened in your life. Thank him for your family. Thank him for the clothes that you have. Thank him for the friend that brought you to church. Thank him for the individual that has sown. Thank him. Thank him. Thank him. Get your eyes off your circumstance. Get your eyes off your situation. And take a moment to thank him. And then we're going to mix it with some faith and pray. Go ahead and say. to understand is whenever you find yourself in this situation, the devil wants you to give up. The devil wants you to grumble. But if you could just get alone with God and begin to lift up a hand and begin to thank God 
for what he's done and for what he's about to do. You're going to see a miracle in your life. And this is what I am believing this morning, church. That because we have thanked God, not just for what we have, but for what we're about to receive, that we're going to hear some testimonies about the goodness of God. Amen. I want you to all lift up your hands. I want you to pray for your need and pray for the needs that are around you. Father God, I thank you this morning that you are able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask of you this morning, all that we could think that you are possible able to do. God, I thank you that you are able to meet every need that, that is represented here according to your riches and glory. God, I thank you for every individual that's in your house. And I pray, God, that you would let your praises or help your praises to continually be upon our lips. God, I thank you for every job that's represented in this place. I thank you for every source of income, Lord God. I thank you for the paycheck. I thank you for the raises. I thank you for the bonuses that you have brought into your people's lives in the past. I thank you for what you've done. And I thank you for what they are about to receive. God, I thank you for the job that you're going to bring into somebody's life. I thank you for the bonus they've been praying for. I thank you for the raise they've been praying for. I thank you, Father God, for that, 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 that higher position that they have been crying out for. I thank you, God, for the favor that they're about to receive this week, for the phone call they're going to get. I thank you for the interview, Father, that, they, that they've been longing for and hoping for. They've sent out emails and they've filled out requests and they've put out applications, God. And I thank you that you're going to respond. I thank you for what you are about to provide into their lives. Father, I thank you for the, the joys of marriage. I thank you, Father God, for all the solid couples. I thank you for all the trials and tribulations that you have brought husband and wife through in the past. But I also thank you for the restoration that's on its way. I thank you for the healing, Father God, that you're going to bring into their life. I thank you for the humility that is going to make its way into that relationship. I thank you for the humble hearts that you're going to, that you're going to create. I thank you, God, that in that marriage, you're going to take out hearts of stone and put in hearts of flesh. Hearts that are willing to say, I'm sorry. Hearts that are willing to repent. Hearts that are willing to make things right. God, I thank you for the relationships that you're going to restore between father and son and, and mother and daughter and daughter and, and father. I thank you, Father, for the restoration that's going to take place in the household, oh God. We may not see how it's going to happen. We may not be able to understand or calculate how it's going to work out, but if we put it in your hands and we mix it with faith and thanksgiving, we know that it's going to work out. God, for the sickness that is plaguing your people, for this ugly thing called cancer, God, I thank you that your word says that by your stripes we are healed. I thank you, Father God, that you are not a man that you should lie you're not the son of man that you would change your mind. And if you call us healed, we are healed. If you call us well, we are well. If you would send the word like the centurion said, Father, we shall be made whole. I thank you for the, the healings you've brought in the past. I thank you, Father, for the tumors that have been destroyed in the past. I thank you for diabetes that's been healed, cancer that has been shriveled up and made whole. I thank you for simple little colds and viruses, Lord, and infections that you have taken care of in the past. 
I thank you, Father God, even in Scripture, how you raised people from the dead, how you raised up the little girl, how you raised up Lazarus, Father God, so that our faith might be built up. So I thank you, God, for the cancers that you're going to heal tomorrow. I thank you for the lives that you're going to restore tomorrow. I thank you for the, for the uh, diabetes that will be healed today. I thank you for the surgeries that will be canceled, God, because the mighty hand of God has reached down and made your people whole. God, there's so many things that we can be thankful for. Your word tells us to count our blessings, name them one by one, and to see what God has done. So, Father, I thank you, no matter how little it might be, I thank you for what we have We never take it for granted, God, because all good things come from above. Let us never think that we've arrived on our own, that we've never achieved anything on our own, but we've done it with you. Father God, I I pray that you would just reveal yourself in a mighty way. I pray, Father, where there is a lack of faith, there, there would be much faith. But your word even tells us if if we would just have faith as the grain of a mustard seed, that we could say to this mountain... So this, this morning, God, and I'm not doing this just to tarry, but I'm following the leading of your Holy Spirit. Today we say unto that mountain, be thou cast into the sea. The mountain of sickness and the mountain of debt, the mountain of fear, the mountain of depression, the mountain of anxiety, the mountain of struggles, Father. We speak to it in the name of Jesus Christ. We take authority over it. We say, be thou cast into the sea. And God, we thank you for the freedom that you're bringing to your people. We sang the song about freedom. God, I thank you most of all that you don't want your people to go home disappointed today. That you will not send us home hungry. That you will not send us home empty. But that you will send us home satisfied. We praise you for your faithfulness and for this word. And all of God's people said, Amen. Can we just bless the Lord this morning?